You're listening to You Have What It Takes, a podcast with Jill Ng. Today on the podcast, we're going to tackle the first lie that kids typically believe when they have been through trauma. Before you listen to this episode, be sure to check back on episode five, Fighting the Lies. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast, it might be difficult for you to follow all the things that we're going to be talking about today. So consider listening to that first and then hopping back over here and listening to this episode six, lie number one, something bad will happen. Let's get started. Like I said, the first lie we're going to tackle is something bad will happen. I want to start with a story about one of my friends. Her son was over at our house with her family. Her foster son had pushed his foster sister over, and he was completely frozen. We couldn't figure out what happened. We were trying to figure out why he was upset, why he wouldn't talk. We were all really concerned about him because he went completely silent, and he's usually a very talkative kid. We brought him into the other room, did some mindfulness with him, had him get grounded a bit by making observations about the room. We asked him about all the five senses, something he could smell, something he could see, something he could feel, all those different sensory check-ins. And after he had settled down and was able to speak again, we asked him what happened. He was so afraid that when he had pushed his foster sister that he had broke her. It took him a few minutes to get this out but he was devastated and terrified. For most kids, that wouldn't make a lot of sense that that's what they would be worried about. But this kiddo has been through a lot. He has been abused by a family member that he loved and trusted and still does. Because of that experience that happened to him, he is very afraid of also being violent or aggressive. He also doesn't understand that when he pushed his sister wasn't the same thing as an adult hurting him, but he felt really upset and worried and was really triggered by that choice he made and her falling over. The reason I tell you this is there are reasons that kids have reactions. They're triggered for good reason. It's not like they were born in a, a safe environment and have never had anything happen to them. These children come from hard pasts. And a lot of times it's not anybody's choices that have led to this situation, but just their circumstances in which they were originally living in. We're going to start with the facts. The fact is this child had something bad happen to them, at least one thing. A couple of years ago, I went to a conference about trauma and learned about ACEs. I had heard about them before, and you can learn more at the cdc.gov slash vital signs slash ACEs. ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. This list I'm about to share with you is not comprehensive, but is a good start to give us a general idea of examples of adverse childhood experiences. Violence, either experiencing it or witnessing it, abuse, that could be sexual, physical, emotional, spiritual abuse, 
neglect. Again, that can have a lot of different connotations. Being left alone, not being fed, not being comforted when they cry, exposed or around those who are exposed or participating in substance abuse, toxic, stressful environments or an experience that was toxic and stressful, severe medical intervention. Think about children who have experienced surgery after surgery or hospitalizations, been poked and prodded at a very early age, children that were not able to be held because they were in the NICU and needed different wires and contraptions hooked up to them. And then there's also abandonment that could be from death, from people moving away, people disappearing from their lives, incarceration. So there are a lot of ways that children can develop ACEs. Most kids in foster care automatically have been moved at least once. So they already have at least one ACE, even if they don't have any of the others. Most kids in foster care, and I'm not going to say all because that's definitely not true, most being more than half, have some sort of abandonment. Either they lost touch with their entire family, they lost touch with one family member, and a lot of kids completely start a new life. So they move from this school, this family, this environment, this culture, and move to a completely different culture and different home and different style and lose everything. So they're so shocked that they've moved from one place to another that even though it was a good move, they didn't know that for a long time and it takes a while to adjust in the new environment. So the move itself was traumatic. So these examples tell us that these kids expect something bad to happen. So I believe that most kids that have been in foster care or adopted for that matter do have this struggle. This is shown in their lives in one way or another. As a result of these experiences, kids that think something bad will happen live in constant fear. What does this look like? It looks like hypervigilance. It looks like constant coping, dealing with extreme fears at the drop of a hat, being terrified to go to a sleepover, being terrified to go in a bathroom, being startled by noises, sounds, their name. It could be a ton of different triggers. They typically freeze. Some kids fight. If you're familiar with these reactions to different triggers, fight is kind of getting aggressive and freezing is just not being able to do anything. So the story about my friend's foster child, that was an example of freezing, not being able to speak, not being able to move, not being able to process information at a normal rate. So what behaviors do these kids typically have? I just mentioned they are slow to process. A lot of times they lie because they believe that if they tell the truth, something bad will happen as a result, and they're terrified. They believe this is a life or death situation to lie and protect themselves. Last week, I read a book called The Boy Who Built a Wall Around Himself, and one of the things that the superhero that comes out of the wall talks about is the fact that they're going to lie for you, and that's to protect you. So the kids build this wall that lies for them, which is kind of a metaphor, obviously, but they lie because they're trying to protect themselves from something bad happening to them again. This also looks like disassociation. So kind of having an out-of-body experience. This can be related to PTSD. I am not a medical professional. I am not 
a therapist. I do not have proper training from a school. I have read a lot of books. I have done a ton of therapy with my children and without my children on my own, but I am not a professional. And so I do not want you to use me to replace your therapist. I would like you to invite me into your village to support you alongside your therapist, your children's therapist and such. So I just want to say that right out the bat that I am not a replacement. I am here to walk alongside you as you work through these different things with different professionals. Disassociation is something to really notice if you feel like your child doesn't remember events, is unaware of what they just did. They probably were just so triggered that they didn't even participate mentally. It was a subconscious reaction, which can be really hard to deal with, but is very important to notice because there's a huge difference between hitting someone because you're angry and hitting someone because you're terrified you might die. These children are also often withdrawn and often are anxious and afraid about a lot of different things, but usually something that is related even if we can't make the connection. So one of the ways that you just listed, Jill, has really brought to mind that my kid is struggling with this. They believe something bad will happen. So what do I do? What do these kids need? That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) They need patience. And I wouldn't wish for patience for my worst enemy because being patient, especially in our culture where we get what we want when we want it, patience is just not a strong suit for our culture. (laughs) And let me just say in my life, it is really hard. But developing my patience, my ability to have compassion and extend empathy to my children when they're having these reactions and being triggered and thinking bad things will happen when I feel very safe is really difficult. It's very easy one day to say, this is so important. I totally get this, especially when you first meet a child. But day after day after day, it can be very easy to kind of blow up or get frustrated about your kids' reactions to simple day-to-day things. It's really important to develop that empathy and patience and have calm reactions as much as possible to their reactive behaviors. A big thing that we need in these kids' lives is coaching and modeling. So we talked about on the episode five when we were talking about fighting the lies, we talked about the fact that you kind of need to join your child in this battle and you need to say, I see that something bad happened to you and you're reacting to this thing. So I'm going to do A and B, which would you prefer? And so the child can decide, I would really like you to A, um, give me a hug. Sometimes I even use my fingers and I say, would you like, number one would be a hug. Number two would be space. And number three would be alone. So would you like me to hug you and give you physical contact would be one finger. Two fingers would be, I want you to stay with me, but I don't want you to touch me. I call that space. And then number three would be, I just want to be alone. Oftentimes I stand outside the door and I say, I will respect you and leave you alone. Please knock on the door when you're ready for me to come up and check on you or come find me. So I try to stay nearby or make sure that I check in to see how they're doing if I do leave them alone. Depending on their age, I usually use that many minutes to give them space. Modeling. (laughs) Okay, so modeling is really helpful in this situation because we need to show them that we all worry that something bad will happen. How do we deal with that? If I am driving in my car and my child is unbuckling, I will pull over the car and say, 
I am really afraid that something will happen to you if you continue to unbuckle while I'm driving. I can't drive and focus on getting to the party safely when you are unbuckling your car seat. Can you please stop so that I don't have to worry that something bad is going to happen to you? Telling them how I feel, pulling over and showing them that I'm going to get safe before I deal with it, and even displaying deep breaths, asking them for what I need, is modeling that when you feel afraid, you can tell someone and they might be able to help you. When they do help me, I'll say something like, thank you for making me feel like you care about your safety, so I'm not worried something bad will happen to you. So that's an example of modeling. Predictability really also helps these kids. Having schedules, plans that are proactive. For example, a kid that's really worried that something bad is going to happen to you. You can say, if something bad ever happens to me, you're going to go and stay with grandma for a couple days. That's not a big deal. So if I need help or whatever, and you're not going to say this when they're freaking out. You're going to say this when they're very calm. You're going to come up with a plan and a procedure that is proactive, that they're aware of. So if there's ever an emergency or my car is not working, I need to go to the doctor real quick, or I have a dental emergency, it might not be a big deal. If you kind of talk to them when they're in their safe and calm brain, just to say, if this happens, this is what will happen. Them knowing that you have a plan helps them trust you and know that they don't have to deal with something bad happening by themselves. Schedules and plans and sticking to them also are really helpful. I really limit the plans and schedules that I reveal to my children. To some people, that's very weird. But my sons, especially my sons that have severe trauma and histories, one of my sons actually has, I think, every ACE except medical intervention. The way that they need information is when I am certain. So when we're going on vacation, I do not talk about the vacation as a certainty. I say our plan is to go to South Carolina next weekend. I really hope we can make it. I bought plane flights. Instead of saying, on Friday at 4 p.m. we're going, I say, if we were going to South Carolina and that all works out, what do you want me to pack for you? There's a difference between saying this will happen and the plan is for this to happen. Because then when flights get delayed, when things are unpredictable, come up and happen and intervene in the situation, especially with COVID, we had a to delay a trip for two weeks. And I was so angry. I told my kids about our trip because that next two weeks that we had to wait and quarantine was terrible. I usually was so consistent and so good at not revealing the plans to them that when I relaxed and told them, I instantly regretted it. So that predictability of knowing that I'm in control, that I have a plan, that I have a schedule and that they're flexible, but I'm going to do my best to keep it relative language until it is for sure. Like we are getting on the plane and it left. Great. We're flying now. We're on our way. Not saying we're going to be at Disney World today or whatever. We're not going to be at the water park today because what if the water park closes? What if something crazy happens and our car breaks down? I don't like to give them plans because I want to build trust with them and show them that when something bad happens, it doesn't throw me off. I'm prepared and aware that something might happen and that doesn't terrify me. Another thing these kids really need is consistency adults across the board to be on the same team to communicate with them about what they need and what supports. So if I say your teacher is going to show a picture of me to you every day at lunch and that teacher is out of the building, if they get someone to fill in for them, my child is way more likely 
to have a great day because that teacher was consistent and found someone to fill in that role that they play. When those little things are dropped, the trust is not built with those kids and they don't believe that you'll be able to be there when something bad does happen. So this means that you have several adults loving your child, working together. And of course, the final thing is safe home and safe place to go when they need a break. So you being a safe environment, nonviolent, gentle, calm, not saying you can't get angry, not saying you can't have feelings. I have a lot of feelings, but not losing my cool, taking a break when I need to take one and getting interventions and allowing other friends who are safe to help me protect my child are all really important things. So if the lie is something bad will happen, what's the truth? The truth is God is always with them. Let's talk about a Bible story that shows us that God is always with us. I love the story of Daniel in the lion's den. This is in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel was quite old when this story occurred. He was under the rule of King Darius, and King Darius really wanted to be worshipped. Daniel wouldn't, and he was required to pray only to the king and not to God. The other people that were working for the king did not want Daniel to be praised and be encouraged. And so the administrators and all of them figured out that Daniel loved to pray, created a rule around it, and then caught him praying and giving thanks to God, as he did every other day. So Daniel still prayed even when he knew that the decree said that if he were to pray, he may be thrown into the lion's den. Just to clarify, this is literally a pit dug out of the ground with a bunch of lions in it. So this jealous group of men came to the king and said, literally, I'm going to read it for you. Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. They caught him in a spot saying, you cannot change your mind. That's verse 15. And so he did. He gave the order that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. So not only was he thrown in the den, but a stone was brought and placed over the opening of the den so that Daniel could not get out. The king was restless, couldn't eat, didn't want to be entertained. He just stayed up all night worrying about his friend Daniel. The next morning, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came there, he was yelling to Daniel. He was like, Daniel, I know you love God and your God has protected you. Did he rescue you from the lions? I paraphrase there. But Daniel said, my God has sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wounds were found on him because he had trusted in his God. When I read these verses, verses 21 and 22 and 23 from Daniel chapter 6, I just remember how we need to trust in the Lord and how God will protect us when we trust in him. I don't ever want to downplay with our kids that God is always with them and was with them even when they didn't realize he was. Because that is an important thing to notice. We need to remind our kids that when you felt alone, you were not alone. God was with you. And even though you didn't trust him, even though you didn't know him, he was there with you and he brought you here. And he was with you through all these days and all these hard times that you've had. 
So what does that mean for our relationship with our kids? That means that we can say, I will be with you when hard things happen. You don't have to go through hard things alone. I'll be here to walk with you. Again, that doesn't mean that you will physically be there to live with them every day. That does not mean that you will sacrifice your own safety for theirs, but that you will stay in their lives, that you will be there to walk through hard things with them and that they won't have to endure them alone. So we can remind them that God is always with them and that we'll be there with them. Something I did very early on in my kids' lives was teach them my phone number over and over and over. Because whenever you have kids that have had a really hard start, the best thing you can teach them is how to get a hold of you. And I've never changed my number. I don't plan to. That allows our kids to know that they can get a hold of me and that I will be with them. So how do we have the people that love us? And please feel free to share this with people you love so that they can understand how to love you when your child believes this. When you have these other people coming alongside you, the question is, what can they do? How can people come around us? They can also be consistent. They can also be predictable. They can talk about you, that you know what's best for them. They can notice that you're safe out loud in front of the child. Let me give you some examples of what those two things would look like. One of my friends brought her two adopted kids over and they were spending the night. I said, wow, your mom packed all of your clothes all of your sleeping items, she must really want you to have a great sleepover. And the kids were just like, yeah, my mom's the best. And that's something that I would not normally say to a typical child. When my nephew sleeps over, I'm not like, wow, look at what your mom packed for you. Because it's not a normal thing to say. But I realize with these kids that have been through so much, I'm automatically noticing all these things that their parents are doing to show them they care. When their mom brings them dinner, I say, wow, your mom really wants you to have a full belly. Look at that huge plate of healthy dinner she gave you. These observations are critical to bonding and attaching with these children and showing that adults are safe. Pointing that out as people that are around your child can be life-changing. And I don't want to sound overdramatic. I can sound overdramatic. I get it. But this is not an overdramatic thing. This is necessary. Another thing that families can do as they walk alongside you is to be an encourager. It is so hard to be with kids who freeze. I was talking about patience and I lose my cool the most when I'm out in the community because I am extra nervous, extra hypervigilant. I'm worried something bad will happen the same way my kid is. So understanding that the adults that you are trying to support as they love their kids are also being triggered that something bad will happen and are having these same anxieties, fears, feeling nervous, freezing, or reacting to something is because they love their child so much and they've seen things you don't understand. They have seen this child do unsafe things. They've been cruelly treated by this child and are so afraid that you will see that about their child and dislike them or not see them as valuable anymore. They are worried you're going to reject their child and they'll know, they know how deeply that will affect their child. And so the combination of all these stressors really provide an environment of anxiety, stress, and these people need your support. They need meals. They need you to bring over coffee. They need you to think about them on holidays and at birthdays. When they say this is a really hard month for my child every year, You need to buckle down and support them in that month and say, 
we see and we hear you and we're going to remember that you need extra help every February or every October and we're going to come around you and, and show you you're important to us during that month to try to prevent it from being such a hard time for your family. Also, sticking to plans and following through with what the parent that loves this child is recommending to you means so much. I've had some friends and family come around me and react to something that I've asked them for or follow through on something I asked them to do. And it is such a form of love and encouragement and support that is indescribable. And so I want to encourage you to understand that your role in walking alongside this parent, the way that I'm trying to walk alongside them, could really change the dynamic of their relationship with their child, their view of themselves, and feel supported in getting the child the care and the support that they need so that they can be safe and grow to be incredible adults. Because something bad happened to them doesn't mean that they deserve to have this difficult life. So my request to you is to walk alongside these people who love this child that you also love and that you get a break from and that you only see a couple times a week and say to them, you're doing a great job. You need help. I see that. It seems like you need a break. I'm going to watch her for a while and I'm going to be the disciplinarian today. That is like the deepest form of love to me is when someone says, I'm going to hold those boundaries that I see are important to your child to help them be successful. I'm going to hold your child to that standard for you so that you don't have to today. That's like, ooh, that's like the deepest form of love to me with my children who have been adopted and have gone through trauma is to say, you're not over parenting. You're parenting this child well, and I'm going to take on that burden with you. I want to resource you after giving you all this information. I know it can be a lot, but I really want you to understand these lies. I want to take the time to give each of these lies what they deserve. I have not found a resource available to me that has all this information in one place. And so I am going to work on a resource for you guys to give you this information with pictures of love and compassion, examples of what to say and what to do. But until I can get that resource available to you, I hope this podcast is a good start, gives you a good picture, a resource you can send to therapists or family teachers, something that you can offer and say, I know you don't know my kid, but you need to know that some bad things happen to them. And as a result, this is what they need. And when you see these behaviors, it's a response to this need. I'm going to read another book to you this week. I know we read one last week, and this week we're going to read a different book for our mindfulness moment called Right Now I Am Fine. And so if you want to meet me over on the next podcast, that little bonus episode, I would love to share this with you as a way to kind of ground your child, help them see that they're safe and that nothing bad is happening right now. During the episode, I'm also going to share that grounding exercise about senses that I talked about at the very beginning of the episode when my friend's son was frozen. So I'm going to walk you through that grounding exercise, which should only take a minute, and then I'm going to read you the story. Right now, I'm fine. Please follow me on Instagram or catch me on Facebook, The Evermore Collective. I want to be able to connect with you and resource other foster families and adoptive families so that we can all love well together. Please share these resources with those around you because you don't need to go through all this alone. And yes, I'm here for you and you have a team maybe of therapists or other caseworkers that are around you, but you need a village that can understand the lies that your child believes. So as we go through these lies, if you feel like your child is struggling with one of them, please share this information, 
so that other people can walk alongside you well. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you over on that mindfulness moment. You Have What It Takes, a podcast, has been recorded by me, Jill Ng, of the Evermore Collective. Please check out our website for more podcast episodes, printables, or books referred to on the podcast, and for more resources at theevermorecollective.com. A special shout out to Anchor and Audacity for their free podcast recording and editing software. I'd also like to thank my friend Jake, who allowed me to use his sweet podcast setup to bring you these episodes. Thanks for taking the time to discuss loving others well and showing them their great value. Let's chat again soon. Until next time, remember that you do. You have what it takes. Thank you.